Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. In area news headlines, Miles Nielsen and the Rusted Hearts to perform in June at Codfish Hollow. Dateline, Maquoketa, Iowa. A Rockford, Illinois-based band fronted by the son of a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer will perform this summer at a Jackson County venue. Miles Nielsen and the Rusted Hearts will perform June 15th at Codfish Hollow Barnstormers, according to an online announcement. Nielsen is the son of Cheap Tricks, Rick Nielsen. Miles Nielsen and his band have toured regularly since the group's inception in 2011. The band will headline at a show beginning at 8 p.m. at the venue, 5013 288th Avenue in rural Maquoketa. Eric Koskinen and Marcus Morell will play in support. Tickets are $30 and will be available beginning at 10 a.m. Friday, January 26. Finish Codf- visit online codfishhollowbarnstormers.com for more information. Wisconsin construction firm wins award for Lafayette County Bridge Project. Dateline Darlington, Wisconsin. A Wisconsin construction firm has won an award for a bridge project in Lafayette County. Kramer, North America, located in Plain, received the Excellence in Small Structures Award at the Wisconsin Department of Transportation's annual contractor engineer conference recently held in Wisconsin Dells, according to a press release. Kramer received the award for its work on the Wisconsin 23 bridge over the Pecatonica River in Lafayette County. The bridge work replaced the deteriorated superstructure and wing walls and added new elements such as sidewalks, steel railing, decorative lighting, and a polymer overlay to the bridge deck. Love that lasts. For debut couple, love still strong after 68 years. Floyd and Bev M. were married December 29, 1955 at St. Clement Catholic Church in Lancaster. Story by Michelle London, michelle.london at teachmedia.com. Floyd M. grew up on a farm near Lancaster, Wisconsin, in a family with 12 children, 11 of them boys. During the summer, Dad only needed five or six of us boys to help on the farm, Floyd, now 89, said, so the rest of us would get hired at other farms. One summer when Floyd was 13, he was hired to work on the Muldoon Farm in Hurricane, Wisconsin, not too far from Lancaster. And that's when I met the love of my life, he said. Of course, Bev Muldoon was only nine years old at the time, so it would be a few years before they went out on a date. Both Floyd and Bev attended Lancaster High School, but it wasn't until a social dance in Fenimore when Floyd was a senior and Bev was a freshman that the romance took off. I went with my neighbors to a dance, Bev, M, now 85, said, and he was there. Floyd was with a date, and when he saw Bev, he knew he wanted to ask her to dance. So I did. Finally, my date came and said, if you're going to dance with her all night, I've got another ride home. She left. That was okay with Floyd, who knew he wanted to go out with Bev again. They both loved baseball and softball, so their dates were often playing in or watching games, then going out for ice cream. They sometimes would go to the Muldoo farm and throw a ball around with Bev's brother Jack and sister Mary. One day they were playing while Leo, Bev's father, was in the house, sitting in the living room reading the newspaper. I threw a ball through the big bay window, Floyd said. I went inside and sat in the living room across from him. I knew I was in trouble. I waited for him to say something, but he never said a word. Floyd gave Bev a diamond ring in May of 1955, and the couple married at St. Clement Catholic Church in Lancaster on December 29, 1955. 
They recently celebrated 68 years of marriage. I was young, Bev said. Just 16. I didn't show my dad the ring for quite a while because I knew he wouldn't like it. But the deal was that I would finish school, and I promised that I would. On a day trip honeymoon to Milwaukee, the couple settled in after a day trip honeymoon to Milwaukee, the couple settled in Lancaster. Floyd began a 35-year career at John Deere Dubuque Works as an assemblyman, and Bev stayed at home to raise her family. The couple has 10 children, Dennis, David, Jerry, Jim, Joanne Stephens, Susan Bonman, Bonman, Deborah Mason, Floyd Jr., A.J., and Cindy Lesage. They also have 31 grandchildren and 26 great-grandchildren, with two more on the way. Floyd and Bev moved their growing brood to a five-acre farmette in Lancaster, where they had an apple orchard, pear trees, a rhubarb patch, a two-acre garden, cows for milk, butter and beef, and chickens for eggs and poultry. Son Jim of Piazza, Iowa, remembers how hard the family worked to make the farm self-sustaining. We never went to the store, he said, when it was time to get milk. We had a cow. Mom would can like crazy after we harvested the garden. We just made our own food. It was incredible. Jim remembers especially his mother's apple creations and the homemade ice cream the family would make at Christmas time. She made the best apple pies, he said, and her apple crust was so good, I can still taste it. At Christmas, we'd make ice cream. That was the best memory growing up. Jim said his parents taught him and his siblings that hard work also can result in rewards. We'd sell some of the apples for additional revenues, he said. And they'd say, how about if we get a pool table this year? Or how about a trip? There would always be some type of treat. Many of the M children would stand out, were standout athletes, and Floyd, who was an avid golfer, takes a, bit, a little bit of the credit for how good several of them were at the game. Our farm, our farm bordered the golf course, and I would say, What do you want to do? Wash dishes, milk the cow, or play golf, he said. Of course, they would always choose golf. Once children were a little older, Bev took a job driving a school bus for the local school district, a job she continued for 30 years. She joked that it was the only way she could get her kids out of bed and ready for school each morning. I'd say, Okay, I'm leaving on my bus route. It's time to get up, she said, and I'd leave. They did pretty good after that. Jim said he remembers one thing his father would always do when he got home from work. The first thing he would do was walk over to Mom and give her a hug and a kiss before he did anything else, he said. That kind of set a tone for the family. Mom is number one in Dad's eyes, and Dad is number one in Mom's eyes. I always thought that was super cool, and I think my brothers and sisters did too. The couple has done some traveling, including to places like Italy, Spain, Israel, Thailand, and Singapore, and has traveled extensively in the U.S. as well. At home, Floyd and Bev made sure to eat out alone every once in a while, paying a babysitter to stay with the children. Back then, you could get a babysitter for $3 for the evening, Floyd said. It was worth it to keep our sanity. Jim said he and his siblings never witnessed an argument between their parents. They would have discussions, and Dad's hair or line would be, Oh, Bev, he said, and that would be the end of it. That was how they dealt with things. They really listened to each other. After a challenging year for their health, Floyd and Bev now live in Dubuque. It has been an adjustment, but they are grateful for nearby family members and the staff at the retirement community who check on them regularly. Floyd said his father-in-law, who wasn't too crazy about him at first, warmed up to him after he and Bev were married. He was a good guy, he said. I think he forgave me for that bay window. Bev is glad about that because Floyd turned out to be the love of her life, too. Floyd is the only guy I ever went with, she said. I never doubted it. Do you know a long-married couple? Love the Last is a series highlighting local couples who have been married for at least 50 years. 
To nominate a couple to be featured in the series, contact reporter Michelle London at 563-588-5655 or michelle.london at teachmedia.com. Be sure to include the couple's names, city of residence, contact information, how long the two have been married, and their wedding date. Mental health officials consider impacts of Governor Reynolds' regional consolidation pitch. Governor Reynolds has proposed combining 13 mental health regions and 19 substance abuse regions into seven unified behavioral health districts. Story by Benjamin Fisher, Benjamin.Fisher, TeachMedia.com. Local and regional officials have mixed reviews of Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' proposal to combine the state's mental health and substance abuse regions and reduce the number of those combined regions by half. During her 2024 Condition of the State Address, Reynolds proposed several reforms to the state's regional departments, which manage mental health and substance abuse treatments. Those included reducing the 13 mental health regions and 19 substance abuse regions governed by boards represented by member county supervisors into seven unified behavioral, behavioral health districts statewide. The Iowa Department of Human Health and Human Services would contract a private firm to help manage those districts. The results will be a greater investment on the ground, improved connectivity between providers, districts in the state, and most important, treatment delivered to Iowans when and where they need it, Reynolds claimed in her address. The proposal continues a years-long bipartisan effort by Reynolds and the legislature to remove barriers between mental health care and substance abuse treatment, which was one facet of combining the Iowa Department of Public Health and the Department of Human Services in 2022, which inspired Reynolds' complete state government quote, realignment in 2023. It will be so critical for Iowans because other mental health and substance abuse disorders are co-occurring in our population. Iowa Representative Shannon Lundgren, Piasta, who serves on the Health, Iowa Health and, House Health and Human Services Committee, told the Telegraph Herald at the state capitol following Reynolds' address. Mental Health slash Disability Services of East Central Iowa Director May Hingeton said the move would be the next step towards integrating or de-siloing mental health and substance abuse funding from the state, a top priority of providers for years because substance abuse is so often tied to mental health issues. In Iowa, we have been really behind the rest of the country in bringing those resources together under one roof, she said. We have needed this done for a long time. Currently, state mental health funding now paid for with general fund dollars rather than county property tax dollars after 2020 reform cannot be used for substance abuse treatment and vice versa. Local governments have acknowledged the difficulty that separation causes because so often people with substance abuse disorders have underlying mental health problems. The Dubuque County Board of Supervisors, for instance, funded a portion of the county's mental health slash disability services director position in recent years so that employees could use some of their hours on substance abuse services. The current supervisors have been supportive of combining mental health and substance abuse treatment funding. But Dubuque County Supervisor Ann McDonough, who represents the county on the MH-DS of the East Central Region Governing Board, expressed concerns during a recent meeting about Reynolds' proposal and said it would remove local officials' control over public mental health supports by merging the mental health and substance abuse regions and then reducing their number. It will change the structures of our boards and commissions and the county's roles in terms of oversight, she said. It's going to dramatically change two of our departments in ways we don't know. We're going to need to hear from both of our directors over brain health 
and our mental health region. It's going to dramatically change the way citizens interact with public health outside of their own physicians. Hinkton acknowledged that the increase in the region size would be difficult to manage, depending on how else the state might implement Rummel's proposal if the legislature follows a plan or something like it. The new Northeast Iowa region would include 17 counties based on the PowerPoint that the HHS department has presented, Hinkton said. Several of them would come from the current East Central region. That new behavioral health district, the population would be 708,000. So we would go up by about 100,000 people. So it would be prudent for us to start thinking about population access centers. In Dubuque, where we are rich with services, what, what can we do to draw pathways from our rural areas to Dubuque to let people know that they can get the care they need here, Hankton said. Otherwise, Hankton said it was too soon to tell what impacts positive or negative might come from the governor's plan if it's followed. We won't know until we see a bill, which we haven't yet, she said. So I'm trying not to get too excited about it one way or the other. The East Central Region's Governing Board meets us Thursday, January 25th, at which time Hankton said she expects a bill will have been filed. Area Development Group to host Career Fair. Dateline, Platteville, Wisconsin. A regional development corporation will host a job fair in Platteville later this month. Greater Dubuque Development Corporation will host the job fair from 3 to 6 p.m. January 30th at the Platteville Public Library, 225 West Main Street. Representatives from over 20 area employers will be present across several fields. The event comes in the wake of several substantial layoffs in southwest Wisconsin. University of Wisconsin Platteville officials announced in October that it would eliminate 111 positions and the impending closure of a battery plant in Fenimore will result in the layoff of 172 Energizer Holdings employees by the end of this year. The career fair is aimed at helping displaced workers, but all job seekers are welcome. More information is available online at accessdubukejobs.com. Fundraiser for Clayton County Fair set for February 17th. Dateline, Elkator, Iowa. Clayton County Fair will hold its Purple Ribbon Fundraising event next month. The event begins at 5 p.m. February 17th at Johnson's Reception Hall, 916 North Nice High Street, Elkator, according to an online announcement. The event includes a meal and a silent and live auctions. The cost is $25 for adults and $10 for youth. Ten and under tables for eight are available for $200. Proceeds will support fair improvements and activities. Call 563-543-2772 for ticket information. Valentine's Self-Guided Hikes offered at Dubuque County Park. Dateline Holy Cross, Iowa. Dubuque County Conservation will offer self-guided Valentine's Hikes at a local county park. The hikes will be held daily from February 10th, 18th at Bankston Park, 17826 Bankston Park Road, according to an online announcement. The route features small signs with information about how animals show and experience love. No registration is needed. Dairy royalty candidates sought in Delaware County. Dayline, Manchester, Iowa. Delaware County dairy promoters seek candidates for 2024 royalty, including candidates for Dairy Princess, Little Miss Herdsman, Mr. Herdsman, and Little Miss Squirt. The contests are open to Delaware County residents who have a demonstrable connection to the dairy industry. Princess applicants must be 16 by March 1 and no older than 23. Miss Squirt and Mr. Herzman must be in kindergarten through second grade. Applications are due February 2nd. Call Nicole Engelkin at 563-608-6937.
Royalty Coordinator Mindy Burkle at 563-920-4534 or email DelawareCountyDairy at gmail.com for more information, including how to apply. Maquoketa Business Hub to help teach students about startups. Dateline Maquoketa, Iowa, an entrepreneurship hub in Maquoketa, will partner with Maquoketa Community School District this year to teach students about startups. Innovate 120, along with founder Robert Abbott, is joining Maquoketa High School business teacher Trish Manthai to integrate curriculum related to startup business concepts in her class according to an online announcement. The class will invite speakers to share their experiences and embark on field trips to meet with local entrepreneurs. The curriculum also includes a Shark Tank-style business pitch competition. Cassville Library to host presentation on avoiding scams. Dateline, Cassville, Wisconsin. A free presentation on fraud will be held next week in Grant County, Wisconsin. Brandy Howell, Information Security Administrator with Royal Bank, will discuss scams from 3 to 4 p.m. January 31 at Eckstein Memorial Library, 1034 East Dewey Street, Castle. Topics will include current scams, tip on, tips on staying safe, and resources to prevent, identify, and recover from fraud. Area Development Group to host Career Fair, Dateline Platteville, Wisconsin. A regional Development Corporation will host a job fair in Platteville later this month. Greater Dubuque Development Corporation will host the job fair from 3 to 6 p.m., January 30th at the Platteville Public Library, 225 West Main Street. Murder Mystery Dinner Theater Event to Support Dyersville Library, Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. A Western-themed dinner event will raise funds for Dyersville Library. Gritty Gritty Bang Bang, a murder mystery fundraiser for James Kennedy Public Library, will be held at 545 February 24th, 545 p.m., February 24th at Dyersville Social Center, 625 3rd Avenue Southeast, according to an online announcement. The event features a dinner theater with the Brew Ha Ha players and a meal from J&D Catering. Participants are encouraged to wear Western attire. The cost is $75 per person. Tables of six are available for $400. Seating is limited, and the deadline to purchase tickets is February 16th. Visit Dyersville.org lib.ia.us or call 563-875-8912 for more information. Applicants sought for Galena Poet Laureate Program. Deadline Galena, Illinois. Applications will be accepted next month for Galena's Poet Laureate position. The Galena Poet Laureate Program will celebrate Galena's heritage, uniqueness, diversity, and achievements through the art of poetry according to an online announcement. The Galena Public Library created the program with support from the City of Galena, Galena School District, and Galena Center for the Arts. Poets who are full-time Galena residents and 25 or older are eligible to apply. Applications will be accepted February 1 through 28, the entire month of February. Visit galenalibrary.org for more information. Northwest Illinois Economic Development Hosting Small Business Boot Camp. Dateline Galena, Illinois. Northwest Illinois Economic Development will host a small business entrepreneurial boot camp throughout the next several months in two northwestern Illinois towns. Build, Built It, Grow It offers participants a chance to attend five monthly 90-minute sessions between February and June to learn about developing business plans, marketing, developing customer service plans, managing finances, and startups. Participants will gain practical insights into business planning, marketing strategies, customer service, financial management, 
using QuickBooks and securing loans for their ventures and online event announcements set. The programs will take place from 5 to 6.30 p.m. on different dates at two locations each month. Riverport Railroad 2226 Main Avenue in Savannah and in the Parker Room at DeSoto House Hotel, 230 South Main Street, Galena. The first sessions are slated for February 13th in Savannah and February 15th in Galena. Space is limited and the cost of $50 includes a light meal. To learn more or to register, contact David Schmidt at 815-297-7361 or dschmidt at nwild.com. For more information, including session dates, go online to the Northwest Illinois Economic Development website. Clayton County presentation examines history of Iowa meat lockers. Dateline, Elkator, Iowa. An Iowa author will discuss the history of the state's meat lockers during an upcoming presentation in Clayton County. Jay Goodvin will present rural Iowa sausage history and tradition of brats on the back roads at 10 a.m. February 9th at Osborne Nature Center, 29969 Osborne Road, rural Elkator, according to an online announcement. The presentation is free. Goodvin writes on the Iowa Gallivant blog and is a regular contributor for Little Village Magazine, Bread and Butter Magazine, and KXEL Radio. Illinois State Lawmaker launches initiative to collect Valentine's Day cards for seniors. Dateline Galena, Illinois, State Lawmaker representing Joe Davis County has launched a card drive initiative to benefit the area's older adults. Illinois Senator Andrew Chesney, R. Freeport, recently announced his Valentine's for Seniors initiative. Chesney is asking students from public and private schools, church groups, scouting organizations, and other groups to create homemade cards to be delivered to assisted living centers and long-term care facilities across Illinois Senate District 45. The district includes all of Joe Davis, Stevenson, and Carroll counties, as well as parts of Ogle, Winnebago, Boone, and DeKalb counties. Cards, poems, and other well wishes will be collected between now and February 5th at Chesney's Freeport Office, number 50, West Douglas Street, Suite 1001, Freeport, Illinois, 61032. Judge reverses zoning decisions, annexation agreements for Galena Resort. Daylight Galena, Illinois, a judge has ruled that multiple ordinances approved by the Galena City Council permitting the construction of a major resort project now are void, leaving the future of development unclear. In a court order entered in Joe Davis County Circuit Court on Monday, Judge John Hay found in favor of Galena resident Wendy Clark on one count of Clark's lawsuit against the City of Galena as well as development groups, True North Quality Homes and BNVA. Clark's complaint filed initially in 2022 and amended last year addressed the Parker Resort Project, which was set to be built on nearly 100 acres and includes the Galena Marine Hospital. Plans for the site include more than 100 cottages, a restaurant, a vineyard, and many other amenities. Residents expressed repeated concerns about noise, traffic, and other potential disturbances. But City Council members in 2022 approved multiple ordinances allowing the project to proceed. Clark's complaint alleged the development would be a, quote, prospective nuisance and that city codes and state law were violated during the city's approval process. Hay found in favor of the city of Galena on nine out of the ten counts of Clark's lawsuit that were included in Monday's order, which included claims that the city violated its Zoning ordinances and the Illinois Constitution engaged in spot zoning and was arbitrary and capricious in decision-making. However, he found in favor of Clark on one count, which claimed a violation of procedural due process during two public hearings when Clark and other citizens were not allowed to cross-examine the developer. To provide appropriate relief for this violation, 
Hey, declare all Galena zoning ordinances, amendments, or enactments that resulted from the Zone of Boarding Appeals public hearings on February 9th and November 9th, 2022, to be void. Those ordinances included the rezoning of the planned unit development for the project, the annexation of 56 acres of the original 80-acre project into city limits and amendments to the annexation agreement and planned unit development when developers added 18 acres of the project and relocated the resort entrance. Everything's been undone, said Clark in a phone interview on Monday, speaking from her home near the planned resort site. I'm looking at a hill site that's no longer in the city. It's no longer rezoned. It's no longer commercial. It's an agricultural hill site again. There is no Parker right now, which is huge. In his order, Hay wrote that Clark, as an interested party whose property rights were at issue, end quote, must be afforded the opportunity to cross-examine adverse witnesses if the hearing involves special use request. The planned unit development application requested that Galena grant five special uses for the property as a matter of right, such as outdoor entertainment. City representatives argued that even if Clark were entitled to cross-examine witnesses, she waived that right by not requesting or attempting to do so during the public hearings. He wrote that the argument was, quote, disingenuous. He agreed with Clark that she did not waive her right to comment by her failure to object because the behavior of the board members made it clear cross-examination would not be permitted. The court finds the, the comments made by Galena ZBA chairman, as well as other comments made by board members and the city attorney about procedures during the February 9th, 2022nd hearing would indicate to a party that any objection would be futilely wrote. It was clear from the comments made at the meetings and the procedures that were used that the public would not have the opportunity to ask questions or raise procedural objections. Hay described, Clark described Hay's decisions as a, quote, Victory not only for herself, but for the citizens who raised concerns about the project, Parker Project and the city's process for approving it. Quote, the key to me is that the right to participate fully in the process matters because the process matters, end quote, Clark said. Procedures matter because they exist to help the city to get informed, supported decision. When you don't allow people to participate in it fully in the way it's set up to be done, then you don't get to get to good decisions. While she said she intends to read Hayes' opinion in detail to understand why he sided with the city on the other counts, Clark said she and her fellow citizens, quote, won on a really important count with Hayes' decision. Hayes' order addressed only the 10 counts in Clark's lawsuit concerning the city of Galena. The 11th count, which names True North Quality Homes and BNB and calls for an injunction on the project, said to be discussed this afternoon at a status hearing. Clark said she is unsure what will happen with that count and requested the injunction now, and that the city's related ordinances for the project are void. Galena Mayor Terry Renner and City Administrator Mark Moran declined to comment when contacted Monday. Sandra Lawrence, president of BNV and property owner Dave Hooten with True North Quality Homes did not respond to requests for comments Monday. Project architect Jim Boransky did not, also did not return a call seeking comment. Here's a look at local law enforcement reports. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Department reported Johnny R. Plummer, the third, 52 of 640 West 11th Street, was arrested at 4.53 a.m. Monday at the Buke Law Enforcement Center on a warrant charging assault with injury. Melvin L. Neal, 65 of 736 University Avenue, number 3, was arrested at 10.29 p.m. Sunday at his residence on a charge of domestic assault with injury and a warrant charging failure to appear. Timothy A. Rowling. 28 of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, was arrested at 10.17 a.m. Sunday at Unity Point. Health Finley Hospital charges of possession of marijuana and unlawful possession of a prescription drug. 
Cameron T. Knight, 22, of North Augusta, South Carolina, was arrested at 7.39 a.m. Sunday in the 4,000 block of McDonald Drive on charges of assault on persons in certain occupations and interference with official acts. Court documents state that Knight assaulted a Dubuque police officer while being taken into custody. Food box giveaway to be held in Dubuque. A food box giveaway will be held in Dubuque this week. Convivian Urban Farmstead will hand out free food boxes starting at 3 p.m. today at 2811 Jackson Street. According to an online announcement, boxes will be handed out until they are gone. Wallard Associate Principal, former Mazzuccelli Principal, to retire. A longtime Holy Family Catholic Schools educator and administrator will retire at the end of the 2023-2024 school year. Doug Varley, who is currently Associate Principal and Dean of Students at Wallard Catholic High School, will retire after 38 years in the field of education and 30 years with Holy Family, according to press release. The release states that prior to his current role at Wallert, Varley served as Principal and Assistant Principal at Mazzuccelli Catholic Middle School for a total of 17 years. Prior to holding those positions, Varley spent 11 years teaching English and coaching at Wallert, where he led the boys' track and field team to two state runner-up finishes. Doug has left an Delible mark on our institution and the hearts of those he has worked alongside, led and served Holy Family Chief Administrator Phil Borman wrote in the release. His commitment to our mission and values has helped shape the nurturing environment we cherish here at Holy Family. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituaries. Robin D. Reed, Centerpoint, Iowa. Robin Dale Reed, 63, of Centerpoint, Iowa, passed away peacefully surrounded by her family on Sunday, January 21, 2024, at home. The family holds a celebration of life later in the spring of 2024. Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service at Centerpoint assisted the family. Robin was born July 6, 1960, in Dubuque, Iowa, the daughter of Dale and Virginia Kenyon Stearman. She graduated from Dubuque Hempstead High School. Robin was united in marriage to David Lyle Reed on July 4, 1981. She worked as a cook for most of her life in restaurants, schools, and grocery stores in the Dubuque, Center Point, and Cedar Rapids area. She enjoyed gardening, collecting frogs, dancing, all kinds of music, especially John Mellencamp, photography, and watching movies. She loved watching all of her grandchildren's activities. Survivors include her husband, David Reed of Center Point, daughter Tanya Hinton of Center Point, son Zachary Stephanie Reed of Center Point, Christopher Reed, Bree Rios of Cedar Rapids, and other relatives. She was preceded in death by her son, Joshua Reed, father, Dale Stearman, mother, Virginia Stearman, and other relatives. Memorials may be directed to Hospice of Mercy. Share, please share a memory of Robert at www.murdochfuneralhome.com under obituaries. Brenda A. McKinney, Dayline, Gidalina, Illinois. Dr. Brenda Ann McKinney, 70 of Galena, Passed away peacefully surrounded by her loving family on Wednesday, January 17, 2024. A funeral services will be held at 2 p.m. on Thursday, January 25, 2024, at the Furlong Funeral Chapel, Galena, where friends may call after 11 a.m. until the time of service. Burial will be in St. Michael's Cemetery, Galena. The family invites all those who knew and loved Brenda to join them in celebrating her life. She was born December 13, 1953, in Taylorville, Illinois, the daughter of Willis, Mack, and and Kennedy McKinney. She led a remarkable life filled with accomplishments and cherished memories. She attended an elementary school in Mount Auburn, later high school in both Galena and Stockville, and continued education at Highland Community College. 
Northern Illinois University and Aurora University. She dedicated 34 years of her career to education, teaching English and literature, coaching volleyball, and directing school and community plays at the junior high and high school in Stockton. Her passion for teaching led her to pursue a doctorate in education. She later shared her knowledge and expertise at the University of Dubuque. After retiring, she found fulfillment as the activity director at Bell Tower Senior Home in East Dubuque. She treasures spending time with her family and friends as well as fulfilling her wanderlust by exploring various bucket list vacation spots and traveling. She enjoyed going to garage sales and finding treasures. She will be forever remembered for kindness, intelligence, sense of humor, and vibrant spirit. She never met a stranger. She enjoyed attending both Methodist and Catholic churches. Her faith provided her with strength and comfort during challenging times. Her memory will forever live on in the hearts of those who knew her. She is survived by her siblings, Bryce Cheryl Bruce, Brad Connie, and Bridget Vito, and our honorary family, Nancy, Nancy Miller, Myra Lance Kent, Emma Hasselblad, and numerous other relatives. She was preceded in death by her parents, nephew, Matt McKinney, and sister-in-law, Brenda Joyce McKinney, along with other friends. A special thanks for you to all caregivers for their loving and compassionate care of Brenda and those who were able to visit her during the past four months. Instead of flowers, the family requests memorial contributions to be made to the hospice Dubuque in her memory. Online condolences may be left for family at www.forlongfuneralchapel.com. Paula Watson, Dateline, Mount Carroll, Illinois. Paula Watson, 66, Mount Carroll, Illinois, passed away Sunday. January 14th at Rock River Hospice and home in Sterling, Illinois, following a valiant and courageous three-year battle with cancer. A funeral mass will be held at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, January 27th at St. John and Catherine's Catholic Church in Mount Carroll, Illinois. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, January 26th at the Law Jones Funeral Home in Mount Carroll, as well as one hour prior to the service of the church. Burial will be in Oak Hill Cemetery. Memorials may be made to the Mount Carroll District Library, Rock River Home, and Hospice and Home in Sterling, or the Mount Carroll Ambulance Association. Paula was born April 12, 1957, the daughter of Robert and Mary Bellman Becker. She was the youngest of six children and raised in Dubuque, Iowa. While growing up, she and her siblings would spend many hours working at the family grocery store, Cruises, located in the 2400 block of Central Avenue at the north end of Dubuque. She attended St. Anthony's Catholic Grade School and Dubuque Waller High School, graduating with class 1975. After high school, she spent a semester at the University of Northern Iowa before transferring to Loris College, where she graduated in 1979 with a bachelor's degree in elementary education. She began her teaching career in Potosi, Wisconsin, at St. Thomas Andrew Catholic Grade School. After a year, she then taught at Pativity, BVM Catholic Grade School, Menominee, Illinois. Following her time at Menominee, she started teaching at St. Anthony's Catholic Grade School in Dubuque. She would later teach second grade at Savannah School District, where she created a pan pal program with area teachers. She entered her four-year teaching degree or teaching career with the West Carroll School District as a reading specialist, passing on her love of reading countless students. Two lives aligned in April 1989 on a blind date at Timmerman's Supper Club in East Dubuque, where she met the love of her life. Bob Watson, after many dates and laughs, she and Bob were married April 10, 1991 at St. Anthony's Catholic Church in Dubuque. Together they raised one son and celebrated 32 years of marriage. At the center of Paul's life were Bob and Tom, my guys as she called them. Paul's greatest joy in life was being a mom. She taught her son and all her family to give 
selflessly and care deeply for others. No matter how big or small the life event was, Paula was there cheering on family, friends, and loved ones. She loved surprising her family with a perfect girl, often perfect gift, oftentimes a book. When she wasn't teaching or raising her family, she continuously volunteered her time to the community. She was an active member of the Mount Carroll District Library Board of Trustees, serving as vice president for the last few years. She played a key role in the recent renovation and addition to the library and was overjoyed at how the expansion served the community. She was also a member of the Mount Carroll Recreation Committee, which oversees operations of the community swimming pool. Her strong Catholic faith was central to her life, and she was an active member of Saints John and Catherine, where she was a member of the parish council. She was also a member of the Mount Carroll Ministerial Association, helping coordinate the annual Christmas gift and food basket program for the community. She, Paula will be dearly missed by her loving husband, Bob Watson of Mount Carroll, her son, Thomas Watson of Chicago, Illinois, three siblings, John Becker of Dubuque, Jean Becker of Dubuque, Mary Kay Panther of Iowa City, and other relatives. She was seen death by her parents, Robert and Mary, sister, Mary Carolyn Seidler, and her brother, Peter Lancaster. Susan L. Bonnet. East Dubuque, Illinois. Susan Louise Glab Bonnet, 79, of East Dubuque, Illinois, passed away on Friday. January 19, 2024, at Unibity Point Health Finley Hospital in Dubuque, surrounded by her family. Massive Christian burial will be at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, January 27, 2024, at St. Mary's Church in Dubuque, East Dubuque, with Father Dennis Vargas officiating. Burial will be in the East Dubuque Cemetery. Family and friends may call from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, January 26, 2024, at Miller Funeral Home in East Dubuque, where a parish scripture service will be held at 3.30 p.m. Friday. An additional visitation will be from Saturday from 9.30 to 10.15 a.m. at the church. Susan was born July 20th, 1944, in Dubuque, Iowa, the daughter of John R. and Mary Edna Klinkhammer Glab. She was a graduate of Waller High School, the class of 1962. She was married to Walter M. Bonnet on October 29, 1966, at St. Anthony's Church in Dubuque. He preceded her in death on October 9, 2023. Sue was a true artist at heart and a wide creative talent, expressed itself through many different avenues, including quilting, painting, photography, and gardening. She had a special love for animals, especially cats and dogs, and welcomed many strays over the years. She was an avid reader and loved games of all kinds, especially Bonnet Hill, a card game she helped to create. She was a loving, generous, dedicated mother who genuinely enjoyed laughing and playing with her children and was extremely proud of the family she raised. She likewise delighted with each new grandchild who came along. Surviving are her five children, Michelle, Philip Cox, and children, Dan Nathaniel, Owen, and Ellie, John, Carrie, Bonnet, Bonnet and Walt, children, Walters, Grant, Sam, and Lily, Marcy, David, Martino, and children, Maggie, DJ, Hagen, and Samantha, Jason, Carmi, Bonnet, and children, Jacob, and Henry, and Elizabeth, Sean, Canary, and children, Madeline, and Grace, her siblings, Jean Conley. Sally Thur and David Clapp. She was seen death by her parents, John and Edna, husband Wally and siblings, Joan Beversdorf and Kay Habosky. Online condolences may be left for the family at www.millerfehed.com. Sharon L. Menadou. Sharon L. Sherry Menadou, age 80, of Dubuque, passed away unexpectedly the day after her birthday on Saturday, January 20th, 2024, at her home. To honor Sherry, there will be a celebration of her life held at a later date. Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street, assisting family. Sherry was born January 19th, 1944, in Dubuque, Iowa, the daughter of Elmer and Irene Wilkes Miller. 
She was a lifelong resident of Buke. She was always a hard worker, running her own businesses, fantastic janitorial service, and nice things with icings, working at Farmland Foods, and lastly operating a press at Premier Tooling in Piasta. She married the love of her life, Richard Menadou, on August 26, 1961, at St. Michael's Church in Savannah, Illinois, or Saint, that may be Michelle's Church in Savannah, Illinois. They celebrated 62 wedding anniversaries together and raised not only their family, but served as foster parents for several children throughout the years. She loved her family beyond measure. She especially enjoyed spending time with her grandchildren. She had many hobbies and interests, but especially looked forward to spending time in the great outdoors, fishing, camping, and sitting around the bonfire. She also had a great love of horses, and everyone knows her has a horse story to share. She was a social butterfly and often played bingo and euchre with friends. She was also a gifted musician who loved to share guitar music with others. Travel was a favorite pastime for her. Some of her favorite trips were to Hawaii, Florida, and Germany, where she was able to find some interesting beer steins to add to her extensive collection. She enjoyed putting together jigsaw puzzles and laminated several of them to put on display. She was a kind-hearted, generous, giving woman who always took care of everyone around her. We are heartbroken at losing her, but know she is resting peacefully in heaven watching over us. Those left to Sherry, cherish Sherry's memory include her husband, Richard Menady of Dubuque, her children, Scott Carla Menadou, Cheryl, Iowa, Penny Ty Timmerman, Davenport, Iowa, Richard Cheryl Ham Hamil Hamilton Menadou, Des Moines, Iowa, and Bruce Menadou, Dubuque, Iowa, her grand grandchildren, and many other relatives. She was seen death by her parents and her siblings, Harold Miller, Steve Frazier, Jack Oratel, Darlene Reynolds, Shirley Dolan, and Carol Tatro. Sherry's family would like to extend a heartfelt thank you to her best friend Hazel for always being there for Sherry and helping us care for her. Also, thanks to Dr. Mark Moore and Dr. Rami El Tibi for all of their professional care. The family will thankfully receive her support through greeting cards and memorials in Sherry's memory, which may be mailed to Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street, Dubuque, Iowa 42001. Attention, Sharon Menadou family. Online condolences may be left for the family at www.bearfuneralhome.com. Here is information on area funeral services. Robert J. Connolly, Dubuque, Visitation 9 to 10.30 a.m. today, St. Joseph Catholic Church, Key West, Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. today at the church. Stephanie L. Eline, Bettendorf, Iowa, Visitation 9 to 10.45 a.m., Wednesday, January 24th, Resurrection Catholic Church, Massive Christian Burial, 11 a.m. Wednesday at the church. Glenn E. Glasgow, East Dubuque, Illinois. Visitation, 4 to 7 p.m. today. Miller Funeral Home, East Dubuque, Illinois. Jerome A. Heffold, Dubuque. Visitation, 10 a.m. to noon Saturday, January 27th. Holy Ghost Catholic Church. Service, noon Saturday at the church. Linda M. Hertenstein, Guttenberg, Iowa. Visitation, 10 to 11.30 a.m. Saturday, January 27th, St. John Lutheran Church, Bellevue. Service, 11.30 a.m. Saturday at the church. Donna J. Lust, Dubuque, Celebration of Life, 1 to 4 p.m. Saturday, January 27th, Happy's Place, 2323 Rockdale Road. Chuck O'Neill, Lead Mine, Wisconsin, Memorial Mass, 11 a.m. Thursday, January 25th, St. Matthew's Catholic Church, Schulzburg. Celebration of Life following the Mass on Thursday at the Berg, Schulzburg. Levon R. M. Ruff, Bellevue, Iowa. Wake service, 4 p.m., followed by visitation until 7 p.m. today. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road. Massive Christian Burial, 
10.30 a.m. Wednesday, January 24th, St. Joseph Catholic Church, Key West. Sarah E. Smith, Dubuque, Visitation, 8.30 to 11 a.m. Saturday, January 27th, St. Anthony Catholic Church, Massive Christian Burial, 11 a.m. Saturday at the church. Trudy R. Vogt, Guttenberg, Iowa, Visitation, 9.30 to 10.45 a.m. Saturday, January 27th, St. Mary's Catholic Church, Guttenberg, Service, 11 a.m. Saturday at the church. Carol Yadoff, Preston, Visitation, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, February 3rd, St. John's Luther Church, Preston, Service, 1 p.m. February 3rd at the church. Mary Catherine Zapf Dubuque Service, 10 a.m. Saturday, January 27th, St. Columbkill Catholic Church. Here's an obituary for George A. Ben. George A. Ben, 81 of Dubuque, died sat Sunday, January 21, 2024. Visitation will be held from 3 to 6.30 p.m. Thursday, January 25th, at Eaglehoff, Secret and Casper Funeral Home Crematory, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road, where services will follow. Interment will be held at... 10.30 a.m. Friday, January 26th, at the chapel at Mount Calvary Cemetery. Paul Cassell, Gladstone, Missouri. Paul Cassell, 84 of Gladstone, formerly of Dubuque, died on Saturday, January 20th, 2024. Visitation will be from 10 to 11 a.m. Saturday, January 27th, at St. Joseph Key West Catholic Church, where services will follow. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory of Dubuque is assisting the family. Brian T. Lee, Dateline Maple Park, Illinois. Brian T. Spido Lee, age 63, of Maple Park, formerly of Dyersville, Iowa, passed away and claimed the promise of his Savior Friday, January 19, 2024. He was born in Dubuque, Iowa, on August 28, 1960, to proud and loving parents Merle and Janet Lee. He now leaves his loving wife of 38 years, Amy Lee, his father, Merle Dennis Lee, his mother, Janet Lee, three siblings, Jan Tom Lee, Janet, Randy, Jeannie Lee, and Tracy Lee, one stepsister, Katie Lee, and his mother-in-law, Velma Fredericks, and other relatives, united with his sister, Susan Lee, who preceded him death, father-in-law, Elmer Fredericks, and other relatives. Visitation will be from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. at the Saints Peter and Paul Parish Center, Virgil, Illinois, Saturday, January 27, 2024. A Mass to celebrate his faith will begin at 11 a.m. at Saints Peter and Paul Catholic Church. Kramer Funeral Home, Dyersville, Iowa, will take care of the family during the interment. 11 a.m. Saturday, February 3rd, 2024, at St. Francis Xavier Cemetery in Dyersville, Iowa. In lieu of flowers, contributions may be made to FDD for a temporal de degeneration at www.theaftd.org. Memorial tributes may be left on the Conley Funeral Home Facebook page or at www.conleycare.com where you can find Brian's full life story. Rick Becker. Dayline Piazza, Iowa. Rick Becker, 73, of Piazza, died Tuesday, January 16, 2024, at University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City. Visitation will be from 5 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, January 24, 2024, at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory. Funeral service for Rick will be at 10.30 a.m. Thursday, January 25, 2024, at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory with Reverend Diane Grace Fischini. Burial will be at Linwood Cemetery in Dubuque. Rick was born April 5, 1950, in Dubuque, Iowa, the son of William and Pearl Drexel Becker. On June 2, 1972, he married Mary Jo Capesius at Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Lamont. She proceeded in death on September 16, 1995. Rick graduated from senior high school and went to work at John Deere Dubuque, 
works for 30 years, retiring in 2001. His favorite pastimes were golfer, golfing, woodworking, and gardening. Survivors included his daughter, Stacy Becker Amundsen, and her two children, Brody and Piper Amundsen, two brothers, Randy and Jake Becker, and nieces and nephews. Besides his parents and wife, he's received death by two siblings and a sister-in-law. A photo tribute can be viewed in condolences sent to the family by visiting Rick's obituary at www.hskfhcares.com. Ronald L. Lightcap, Dateline, Hazel Green, Wisconsin, Ronald L. Lightcap. 70 of Hazel Green died Sunday, January 21, 2024. A memorial service will be held at a later date. Howden Shield Funeral Home Cremation Services of Cuba City is assisting the family. BizBuzz, Piazza Dance Studio opens new location. Delaware County Doggy Daycare opens. New family restaurant opens in southwest Wisconsin. Call them by Grace Nyland, grace.nyland at thmedia.com. BizBuzz shares business tidbits from the tri-state area. This edition highlights developments in Piasta, Iowa, Manchester, Iowa, and Fenimore, Wisconsin. Dayline Piasta, Iowa. Before each class, at Next Level Dance Company in Piasta, owner Lexi Stroud Abbott asks the students a question. Her inquiries range anywhere from what made you happy today to what's one thing you learned in school this week. Stroud Abbott said the ritual helps kids relax and get to know instructors and each other. Recently, she got to ask a particularly special question. I got everyone together and asked them, what's your favorite part of our new facility, Stroud Abbott said. All the kids are talking about how they feel so much more free when they dance to just really utilize all this new space. Next Level Dance recently opened at its new location at 257 Cox Springs Road. The 6,000 square foot facility includes three studio spaces, a lobby and waiting area for parents that includes a one-way glass to watch your children dance. The building is roughly three to four times larger than the studio's previous location at 742 Piazza Street, Stroud Abbott explained, and was built to meet increasing demand for competitive and recreational classes. We just kept growing and kept getting more enrollment, she explained. Got to the point where we just really needed more space to have the kind of availability we wanted for our students in our different classes. The studio hosts a variety of classes for dancers ages 18 months to 18 years. It first opened in 2019 at Piazza Community Center before later moving to its previous lease location on Piazza Street. Moving forward, Stroud Abbott said she is considering how best to expand and strengthen students' offerings with the extra space. She already is planning to add gymnastic classes to complement the existing tumbling program, for example. A big thing for us is the atmosphere we provide, she said. We really value both recreational and competitive teams. We want to be known as a first stop shop for people looking to dance or tumble. More information about the studio can be found online at nextleveldancecompanypiazza.com or by emailing nextlevelpiazza.company, nextleveldancecompany.piazza at gmail.com. Registration now is open for summer and fall classes. Doggy Daycare opens in Manchester. A new doggy daycare and boarding facility is open in Manchester. Wolfie's opened late last year at 616. Grand Street, the newly constructed facilities, offers daycare services for dogs of all ages and sizes, as well as overnight boarding, grooming services, and training. The daycare also is equipped with live video cameras so owners can check in on their pets throughout the day. People love their dogs. In this way, they can check in on them and make sure we're taking good care of them, said owner Christy Braden. Plus, I think people just enjoy watching the dogs run around and play. Braden has been working with dogs for nearly two decades and also runs Glamour Groom's mobile dog Grooming. She previously did some overnight boarding out of her home before deciding to open the 22 Kennel facility. 
There aren't many options for area residents who bore their animals overnight while out of town or on vacation, she said, so she knew there was a demand. The daycare is a compliment for people looking to keep their dogs entertained during working hours. Doggy daycare is really popular in some of the bigger cities, she said. It hasn't quite caught on a smaller place like Manchester, but it's starting to. People really like picking up a happy, tired dog at the end of the day. Wolfie's is open for daycare services, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Additional information about services and reservations can be found online at wolfiesdaycare.com or by calling 563-927-9663. New restaurant opens in southwestern Wisconsin. A new restaurant with focus on fast casual dining is open in southwest Wisconsin. Reggie's recently opened at 645 Lincoln Avenue in Fenimore, Wisconsin in the former Hardy's building. The restaurant is named for the late Reggie Reynolds, longtime owner of the nearby Cottonwood Sports Bar and Supper Club. Everyone in town knows that name, said Pat Reynolds, Reggie's wife and the owner of the new restaurant. It seemed like a nice way to make sure he was remembered in the community. I had already had one guy stop in and say he thought Reggie would be proud. Restaurant serves items such as burgers, pizza, and other dishes for dine-in and take-out. The menu also includes cheese curds, soft-serve ice cream, and a variety of alcoholic beverages. Our cheese curds aren't like any other out there, promised Reynolds. Tyler Reynolds, Pat's son. People have been banging down the door for those things. Tyler Reynolds said the family was prompted to open the restaurant to offer a casual or community-oriented space for area residents while also capturing interstate traffic from nearby highways. The venture also offered a chance to build upon the family legacy, which already includes 17 years of ongoing ownership at Cottonwood. People know us, and they know we're going to give them quality food, said Tyler Reynolds, who helped manage both businesses. We can't stand behind it. We don't serve it. The restaurant is open 10 a.m. to 7, 9 p.m. seven days a week, a schedule Pat Reynolds said was intentionally wide to allow for a variety of community uses throughout the day. Already, he said, a few groups have come in to play cards or simply hang out. Not a lot of places are open seven days a week around here, especially in the night hours, she said. We're really look, looking forward to all the friendships we can make and all the people we can meet here. Business tip thoughts. Do you have an interesting story, idea, or news tip to share about local business? Ideas can be shared with business reporter Grace Nyland at gracenyland at thmedia.com or by calling her at 563 Epworth Community Food Pantry schedules, schedules regular giveaways. Dateline Epworth, Iowa. Epworth Community Food Pantry plans regular food giveaway. The organization will provide food for, from 4 to 6 p.m. the fourth Monday and Tuesday of each month and from 9 a.m. to noon the second Saturday of each month at 106 First Street Southeast Epworth, according to online announcements. Announcement. Giveaways are not held on holidays. Call Call 563-513-9001 for more information or schedule an appointment to collect food outside of regular giveaway times. Dubuque School Administrator, named next principal of Marshall Elementary. At Dubuque School, Community Schools principal will take the home of a different school next year. Nicholas Hess will serve as principal of Marshall Elementary School starting in the 2020-2024-2025 school year, pending approval of the school board as meeting in February, a press release states. He will succeed Joel Maloney who has been serving as interim principal of the school for the current academic year. Hess currently serves as principal of Kennedy Elementary School, position he has held for five years. He is also a teacher, instructional coach, and site supervisor for the district's summer academy program. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald on Tuesday, January 23rd. 
2024. I'm a reader, Bill Petrosky. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thank you for listening.